Welcome back, everyone, to a very special Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have the first of many long-awaited interviews that we have been so excited to bring to you. This is a very special show that we're excited to share with you as it's one of the three Stage Whisper picks currently playing at 5099. And as we mentioned on our social media, we've never had a venue have more than one show or one show at a time playing. And there's three currently playing at this venue, including today's show, which we are speaking with Cassie and the Lights, which is being presented by Patch of Blue in association with New Diorama Theater and Jin Yi Shen for Verse Unbound, as well as Amelia Campbell. The show is playing now through July 2nd at 5959 Theaters. And you can get your tickets and more information by visiting 59e59.org. And this is going to be a fun one, friends, because we have a very full house. We have more guests today than we've ever had. So this show just keeps smashing those glass ceilings all over the place. <laughs> we would love it if you'd welcome with us Alex Brain, the performer who plays Cassie. Emily McGlynn, the performer who plays Kit. Michaela Murphy, the performer playing Tin. Helen Chong, their understudy. Teresa Oregon, who plays the musician in the show. Alex Howarth, who's the director, playwright, and scenic designer. Amelia Campbell, the executive producer. And Madeline Blossom, the production stage manager. Everybody, welcome to Whisper. <laughs> <Stage> Whisper. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that has got to go also on the record for the longest intro. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that amazing. I'm so happy to have all of you here with this incredible show, Cassie and the Lights. We talked about it on our Broadway Bulletin. It's one of three incredible shows playing at 5959, part of their Brits off Broadway. And we mentioned that each of the shows playing right now are all dealing with brilliant and important subjects. And I love the story that your show is telling and the way that the, the, the story is being told. So Alex, I want to start with you on this. You are the playwright. You know, can you tell us a little bit about this show? So I got on a tube one day, our subway, um, and I was reading the Metro, which is the free newspaper that you get on our subway. And I just turned the page and here was this tiny, tiny little story that was telling the result of this court case where the 17 year old had gone to court to get custody of her two younger siblings. And that was something that I had never, never even thought about that, that somebody can have the need to do that, but also be so close to being 18 when that would be something that would be really relatively straightforward for them to do but could only be a few months off that and have to go through this in massive difficult stressful process that's stressful for them but also for the children and so I decided to research into that more was able to get hold of lots of documents about the court case and do a lot of reading and I just thought it was a very very interesting question about can and should a 17 year old be a parent and what would the ramifications be for them and what the, would the ramifications be for their siblings and how we look at a family and what a family is and and that a family can be so many different things which is something we touched on in the show as well so it kind of came out of a desire to to explore that and then the i wrote the script in 2019 and we've been performing it since 2020 which is crazy obviously we right had, before that we had a little we did our first thing in 2019 
Did we? Was oh, oh yeah, sorry, goodness, it's been a while. Yeah, so we even did a little exit in China in 2019. So yeah, it's really been four years. Obviously, we had a little little break in the middle, <laughs> and a little enforced stop. But yeah, it's a it's a real delight to be back and and to be performing it in a in in New York. Wonderful. Amelia, I want to bring you on now with you being the executive producer. How did you come upon this production? Well, a little bit by accident, actually. So when I moved from Australia to London, I got in touch with a friend, a playwright who's American, Jacob Mark, Marks Rice, Jacob Marks Rice. And we had a conversation about that I had moved to London and I wanted to meet someone who was associated with a play called Chemistry, which ended up being Alex as he directed Chemistry at the Finborough Theatre and I produced Chemistry in Sydney the year before. So we then had a chat on email. It was still a lockdown time. And then from there, we spoke about doing Brief List of Everyone Who Died. And then after the week after that, Alex said, have you ever been to Edinburgh? Would you be interested in maybe coming to Edinburgh? And I said, absolutely. Yes, that sounds very exciting. What's the play? And he told me it was a play called Cassie and the Lights and sent me a video of the production that you did in Adelaide. And I watched that. And then I had no doubt in my mind that I wanted to come on board because I was blown away by the production crying, sobbing. I did cry. <laughs> I had a very visceral emotional response to the video and I thought if that's what I'm having from a video, like a recording of the production, just imagine what it would be like seeing it in person right there, a metre away or two metres away, whatever it is. And so that's how it started. So then we went to, that was, that was my first experience coming to Edinburgh last year. Yay! I also laugh. I should say that there is, you know, there's also so much joy and love yeah. in there. You do want to be a part of it. Like you are pretty much a part of the family just by by watching and being involved with the whole production. So, yeah, it still surprises me, you know, after watching it so many times. But I think that's still the reason me. that you cry is because there are so many points of joy yes. and so many points of love and so many points of like where you become very close to these, these characters so that when things do go south not necessarily south but you know you you end up feeling so much more emotional because you're connected with them initially yes i totally felt included the entire time and that's what is important like you need to feel included because you yeah. need to be included in the conversation that happens throughout the show and you know without discussing what happens in the show but like what happens later it's important for you to be like immersed in it and to know these characters and to know the situation that they're in and feel a part of it so that as the play progresses, you continue to feel a part of it as as we are as a society that's causing these problems and, and being a part of these issues. Yeah, exactly. Like that was that was very deliberately incorporated within the script because I, I feel like plays that are asking such important questions like this, I think it's 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 often too easy to just be able, for an audience to just be able to sit and watch and go, Oh, that was really sad, but cool, I'm gonna go and have a drink now and and and, and forget about it. And hopefully by involving the audience as much as we do and directly asking the audience questions as as we do, they're really forced to to really consider their position on this because it's not a it's not a straightforward issue and and, and we're very careful to not come down on sort of either side of, of you know, can a can and should a 17-year-old be be a parent? Like we we just want to offer up 
all the sort of sides of the argument to you. So we got a lovely thing on Show School the other day that where a guy was like, it, it's so great because the conversation continues like all the way home. Like the the that that debate, you know, they 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 keep talking about it, which is great. And that like that shows that's that the, we we've dream. done our job. Yeah. <laughs> Teresa, I want to bring you now on because there's this beautiful haunting music that accompanies the show. It's gorgeous. You being the musician and getting to perform this beautiful music, what has it been like developing that role? Certainly, it's been a new experience for me to get up from my little corner. <laughs> and having to get on stage and say some words. That's, and I think it's a really unique and interesting thing that I, I mean, I knew it was going to happen, but yeah, when, when, when somebody asks you, do you want to be a musician on a show? You don't think you you just think you can just like hide behind all of your equipment and just make some sounds and press some buttons. But I think it's been a great way to just also be feel like a lot more involved in it. And but yeah, I was yeah I've I've been thinking about that. And for a time I was like maybe like a proper actor should do that. But then if there's a proper actor doing it, they're only coming on stage for like two minutes so what's the point in that and maybe it's like cool that in the same way the audience gets involved it's cool that everybody nobody gets yeah, to yeah. I mean half of the point is that the bowling alley attendant comes in and is a musician because you're kind of breaking down these ideas in in times in terms of like the theatrical narrative mm -hmm. device of it, it's kind of like breaking down the, the barriers the barriers of like everything's going the wrong inverted commas but like everything's going wrong everything's changing everything's different in their lives and everything's changing throughout and so then why wouldn't we kind of add in the musician sort of developing as a character and becoming like a part of it that you've expected that's been there the whole time and as a part of the show has been there the whole time yeah and we we talk a lot about that like as you know you 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 set up the we we like really clearly set up the rules for the play at the beginning and as as Brain said, as as things start to go wrong for them, the play starts. The rules of the play start to break down, and 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 people start to be. You know, we turn the house lights on and talk to the audience, and and it's that's it, what we wanted to capture was that sort of same out of control feeling for the audience that that the sisters are feeling that that they had this really stable life, like the audience feel when they come in and they get told the rules of the play, and they're like, oh great, I know what's going on. But then we start to pull the rug out from under them as like life is pulling yeah. the rug out from under the, the sisters there used to be an iteration of the show where at the like you know i'd, I'd take down some of the suitcases yeah. some of the set as well and kind of kind of mess about with the suitcases and move the set around to kind of do more things towards the end that we took out because it's just not safe <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah 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 of the safety and speaking of safety, I do want to bring on our production stage manager now, Madeline Blossom, because you are the person who really helps bring all the, the elements together, steer the ship, if you will. And I want to know what it's been like for you developing Cassie and the Lights. It's been so wonderful. I mean, I, I've been working with 59E on their Brits off Broadway event in Theater B. So I've been doing a couple other shows and I just closed one and I basically like walked in, was handed a prompt book and said, welcome, like, welcome to the, <laughs> welcome the show. To the family. We <laughs> and we had like 
a day and a half, two days maybe to like not only build the set and hang all the lights, but also to kind of tech through the show and figure out what cues go where and, and sort of how it feels. And I mean, Alex had always been the one basically that had been calling the show previously. And we learned he had never seen some parts like fully because <laughs> he was always like staring in the book, pushing, you know, pushing the go button. So when we got to our first dress rehearsal and I was able to call the show like on my own by myself and he got to sit and watch like as a stage manager, that was like such a, a beautiful- I, I got a bit emotional. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I've literally never watched this show before because I've always, yeah, either been in the tech booth pressing the buttons or at one point I was the musician. So it was such like that, that dress was such a joy. And, it was, and it was yeah. beautiful to be able to give that to them. So yeah, so it's, it's been wonderful getting to meet all these lovely people and they have a, a way of how they're doing things and to just be able to kind of jump on board. I felt, you know, enveloped into their little. Of all the shows, you know, it was sort of random that I got put on Casting the Lights. I, I didn't pick the shows. I, I had knew nothing about them before coming into it. But when I got Casting the Lights and I read it, I actually, in like my own life, I babysit for a family that has three foster kids. And so it's just like the fates in the universe. Like there are so many moments or so many things that just that just hit really home, hit really hard, hit home. And it's been a real just absolute pleasure getting to work on this person. That's amazing. And you said just just touching on what you said about like joining the family, like one of the biggest joys of doing this and getting to do it so many times and getting to do it all over the world is I feel like we do have like we do add to the family. Mm. Like every yeah. time we do it, we meet new wonderful people who get you know, who get joined this family. We've got those all over the world now, which is a real gift. It's wonderful. So I wanna bring our performers, more of our performers on now. And I wanna ask, starting with you, Alex. What is the message or thought that you're hoping audiences will take away from the show? We we touched on it briefly already. I think it's very much just the conversation. It's the it's the knowledge that these things aren't all black and white. It's not a linear kind of understanding of a situation. There's no way, like yes, potentially in a legal sense, the character is not old enough to take care of these kids. But in a personal sense, of course she is. She like she's old enough well she's not old enough but you know she's she's she knows what's best for these kids she's been taking care of them she's been taking care of them for her whole life and there have been times of course where the mum hasn't been there and she has been their sole caregiver so it's kind of like she absolutely should be but then is the conversation that she then gives up the rest of her life in order to make sure that their lives are, are better and yeah the fact that there's like kind of no specific correct output and whether or not the governments and the the councils are doing the right thing no one knows no one will know until these kids are older no one will know until they've grown up and 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 seen their how comfortable they are you know it's people have brilliant lives whether they be kind of with a spenny swanky family or whether they be with you know their more like in, from a from a lower socioeconomic background, like they're all people are happy all over the world, so it's hard to know what is better for a, for a family, I guess, whether or not that makes sense. And that is what I've said. Yeah. <laughs> Emily, I want to ask you that same question. What about you? What are your thoughts about the messenger thought that audiences will take away? Well, I guess it is that thing of having the conversation of what is family, and that you don't have to have your blood relatives it's 
the whole thing of what Kit says is anyone could look after them if they really loved them. And it's just about who that could be and not necessarily kind of where you were born, but is it where you're placed? And then I guess the conversation as well of does Cassie take on this massive responsibility or does she go and live her own life? Like what's best for her as well, I think is a massive thing that people need to think about is do you put all of this pressure on still such a young girl or do you let her go out and live her life and kind of become who she can be without the responsibility of having children to look after but I guess it begs the question really of like if she's just months away from this Mm -hmm. and it's still what she wants and like she's still you know she's only months away from being able to just as you say very just be being very easy for her to make that decision and like what's a few months yeah at a point that's why the conversation is so interesting and and I think like as as much as we leave we you know we 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 share this debate and we we make all the points and we leave it open for people to decide. I think the one the one thing that I want to get across the, the the writing that I really do firmly believe is, and we touch on it really really heavily in the play, is that in the UK I don't know what the rules here, but an adoptive family adopts two siblings, well, or any number of siblings, and not other siblings. They have the ability to prohibit contact with that sibling until the children are eighteen, which. Mm-hmm. To me is absolutely bonkers like no nobody that is like hard and fast with me like nobody should have the power to do that so as much as we're not coming down on, on either side of the should a 17 year old be a parent debate i think that's something that we really really want to affect change for with this play we want to get people talking about that and saying actually no that's 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 really not something that should be legally correct and, and i hope that we're, we're making sure about that yeah Michaela, I now want to bring you on and ask, who do you hope have access to Cassie and the Lights? Obviously, you know, we want everyone to come see, but specifically, that's hard. I guess I would love to see, like, particularly like younger people come to see this. Maybe people who've had like a similar experience to this so that they know that the situation, they're there might be different to what's happening here but that like we're trying to start a conversation and that they aren't so alone in their experiences and that even though we're just portraying a story there is thousands upon stories of like this out there and that even though sometimes the world can be like a really scary place that sometimes we're more connected than we think we are um like I know when we did it in Adelaide we had a particular audience member came up to us who had a really similar story And she came to see it a few times and she actually wrote us a letter of her experience of like, like her foster care and the system that she went through. And I remember us reading this letter and just like absolutely in tears going through it that we had shown this story and that someone had that reaction and that connection to it, which was great. But not just for like people who are involved in the system or kind of know about it. People who don't, people who... You have no idea whatsoever about any of these things that we're talking about just to kind of like generate that conversation and maybe open their mind a little bit you know because you never know what someone's going through and your doesn't matter if like you're in the same family as someone else your experiences are going to be different so like having that bit more kindness and open-mindedness i think that's really important i don't know how that answered your question absolutely <laughs> absolutely 
Helen, I want to bring you on to wind up this first part of the interview and, and ask the same question. Who do you hope have access to the show? I mean, I think Michaela summed it up really well. I think it is a show for everybody. I think it affects people in all sorts of different ways. I think, you know, that like what Michaela was saying, you've got people that have actually experienced what we're putting out on stage, which I think is such a beautiful thing that they can come here and sort of feel heard. But I also think that it resonates with anyone. I think, I mean, I've only been with the show for this run, but I think the general consensus from everyone is that like the difference between uh, reactions in the UK and in here and in Adelaide. Mm. And it's just nice to see how different people react to the same story, because I just think that everyone, every single person sees it in a different light. And I think that's what makes mm. it so like so great. I think it's so great when we get people in who don't have any relation to this because I think we're so used to speaking into like an echo chamber people who you're like kind of preaching to the choir people who know these things or agree with these things and like that's a really great thing because then it reinforces how they feel but when you get people who come in who say things like I did not know what I was coming to see and I like really feel this way about it or I really feel this way I think that's like really important as well because you're opening those channels of communication with them that's great also a lot of stereotypes around like being in foster care Mm. like that sort of you know you see it on tv shows or movies or whatever and they sort of they talk about it they talk about some of the issues but what i feel with this show is it really sort of cracks that stereotype open it's like okay what are what are we actually talking about here Mm. these are people's lives these are people's families what are we actually saying here and i think that's great for people who don't know a lot about these sorts of topics switch gears now and give our listeners a chance to get to know all of you a little bit more and our listeners are used to me asking what inspires you what great shows have you seen or your favorite part of working in the theater but we have a full house and i'm just gonna jump to my favorite question which is what is your favorite theater memory michaela it looks like you're ready what is your favorite theater memory yeah, so my one is when I was really little. I grew up in Cork in Ireland. I don't know, can, can you tell? But it was one of my first experiences of theatre. Um, every year, my family used to bring me to the village hall and we'd see like the local community production of, I don't know, Jack and the Beanstalk. Um, but this year, it was, like, it was like a choral Christmas kind of carol service. And halfway throughout, there was a power cut and everything went dark. Um, and I was really little and I started crying because I didn't know what was happening. But they kept on singing the song. And then everyone kind of joined in in like this village hall in the middle of Cork. And we just kept singing the carols and someone would be like, up next is, you know, Silent Night. And then the everyone would just sing. And then eventually, you know, these lights came back on, but... Uh, but yeah, it didn't matter. Everyone just kind of joined together singing these like Christmas carols. I love that. What a beautiful memory. Amelia, 
Yes. What is yours? Mine is semi-intertwined, I think, but mine is following production that we did at drama school. So at Actors Centre Australia, we had a really wonderful teacher named Moilisa Stafford, who is an Irish director. He was artistic director of Druid Theatre Company in the 90s and working with Martin McDonough and the likes, really fab teacher. And the last time he directed us, he following the production, invited everybody to come to his house and introduce us to his family and plant an olive tree in his backyard. And we all made speeches around the connection that we had made with each other, the stories that we had shared developing the show and that now we'll plant this in the earth and we'll have this memory of the tree being planted and then the tree will grow and we'll all go our different ways, which was one of the yeah, that was one of the wonderful experiences of how theatre is actually, those things are everlasting. They live on regardless of whether the show has ended physically, you know, it continues and that's forever. That's so beautiful. That's <laughs> yeah. another beautiful memory. Is that Madeline back there that has one to share? Yeah, so I was fortunate enough to have a ticket, I mean, I bought a ticket, to the first performance back of Hades Town after oh. the Broadway shutdown. I mean, Passover was the first play to open, and that had happened, you know, previously, but this was the first like show that had been closed in 2020 was now reopening. And I just remember Andre De Shields walking oh. out and he did this little thing with his little coat. And we must have been standing there just applauding for like two or three solid minutes. And it was just, there was so much hope in the room and so much love and, and joy of like, we have fought to get back here. You know, we were wearing our masks. We got our Vax cards checked. Like we were doing everything we could, but we, we knew we, we had like, we had to be there. You know, it, we needed this theater. We needed this art form in our life. And those like three minutes of just straight applause and Andre DeShields just like, we are here. Like, let let us begin. It's just wow. Beautiful. Yes, testament of why theater is important. Who would like to go next? <laughs> go yes. on. Ellen. So when I was little, I used to go to dance classes, and they used to go on this like trip every year to the theater. But because I'm a twin. My mum couldn't afford for both of us to go. But one year, she, we both got, like, she could afford for both of us to go. So we went to see The Nutcracker, which I know isn't a musical, but we went to the theatre. And my mum was lucky enough to come with us as well. And we sat down and we watched the show. And I, I'd never seen a show before. This is the first thing I ever saw on a stage. And it was the interval. And at first of all, I didn't understand why it had stopped. But the second of all, <laughs> I, I turned to my mum and I tapped her on the shoulder. I went, Mum, why aren't they talking? Like, I generally didn't understand in a ballet why they didn't speak, because I was like, have they all lost their voices? Like, they all, like <laughs> ill or something? So but then, anyway, they finished, and I really loved it, and I said to my mum, I was like, we need to go see, so, like, I, like, and then she took us to see Calmly Jane, and that was my first proper musical experience, and, like, I'd only seen the film, so it was really cool to see it in real life, but, yeah, that was mine. But it was just really nice, and my mum, like, my mum hadn't been in the theatre in years either, so it was really cool to just, like, go with her, and I mean, the Nutcracker is beautiful anyway, but I, she still tells me about how I was so confused about why they weren't talking. <laughs> but yeah, it was great. And yeah, that's what I remember. Like, that's the first memory I have of like theater world. I love that. That's a wonderful memory. And I'm so glad you got to share that with your mom. Yay. <laughs> Who is uh, next? I, I have one. Alex, okay. 
So we did a play for this one, which is called We Live by the Sea. We did it here in 2018, but we also did it in Adelaide. And that play was about an autistic girl making her first friend outside of her family. And the way that play started was... Oh, uh, great, story. Yeah, you know the story. Yeah. was Brains, who, who played the character, tapping all the audience's shoes as they came in, because that was that character's way of saying hello. And it was the school's matinee. We had about 100 kids in. It was very, very hot. Fans pointing at the stage. It was crazy. Uh, all these kids were coming in and Brains was tapping all these shoes. And they were all, you know, they were all a bit like taken aback, but they were fine. But then this one kid saying, mm. get off, you insert horrible slur, ableist slur here, right? And Brains got very upset, as you would. And then the actress playing their sister said, stood on the stage and said, who who was that? Oh, yeah, because he wouldn't, he wouldn't let me He wouldn't let do you it. do it. Um, and said, who is that? Who upset my sister? And the whole tent went quiet. And then eventually one of the kids was like, him, he did it. And he had to walk back over and, and tap the shoe. And then he sat down and like, w- like looked absolutely miserable and fed up and like didn't want to be there. And then by the end of the show, he was crying and he put $20 in the collection uh, bucket for the autism charity that we were yeah, yeah, yeah. for. And that for me is just just, just a real kind of summation of like what theatre can achieve. I always say, you know, we did that show for like three years. And I always say if that's the one thing we achieved the whole time that that kid grew up to be just a little bit more open, then, then it was worth doing the show. Yeah, that's that is incredible. All right, five down, three to go. Who would like to go next? <laughs> I have one. All right, Teresa. What is yours? I think it's just, for me, I just love the process of creating something. And I've, I've obviously seen like theater things and maybe ballet things when I was a kid. Not not loads, but I was kind of familiar with what it was. And I don't really have like a specific memory, like a childhood memory. But I have, I remember the first time I was involved in R&D. I don't know if it's the same in America. It's like research and development of this show, which nothing existed before everybody went in the room. And I was there, I I was obviously there only to write the music. I wasn't writing the story. I wasn't writing anything. I was just there as a composer. But just to see how a story was made just and to see how all the exploring you can make, whether that is like moving, whether that's improvising on an instrument, whether that's writing down things on post-it notes and then moving them around. And to see that whole process, which was relatively short, it was about two weeks of just going in every day and just some kind of improvisation of some sort. At this project I was working with, dancers so they would do just just moving and then by the end of it there was a whole story which made sense which had a beginning and an end and things happened in the middle that needed to happen that was just yeah probably my favorite theater that's fantastic thank you for sharing that I mean, mine are just silly. <laughs> like, one of my favourite things that's ever happened in a show was actually during Cassie and the Lights in Adelaide, when about a week into our run, poor Michaela fell down some stairs in the in the uh, pre-show while she was leading people in, 
and she fell down and I thought it was hilarious and I laughed. Then she, I turned to her and I was like, are you okay? And then she like dropped her accent and was like, I can't walk. So I like swooped her up in my arms <laughs> and I ran her backstage. We worked out she needed to go to the hospital. So we, I went back on stage and was like, hello everyone, you just saw what happened. She just fell. And so now we have to unfortunately cancel the show because we need to take her to the hospital. So yeah, it was pretty wild. So then we trundled off the hospital, do 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 do. Michaela ended up getting some crutches. She she hadn't fractured it, but she'd torn some something in her foot somewhere. She was on crutches and some opioids, but she was on crutches mostly. So then we did the show with Michaela on crutches, which makes a very funny moment for later on in the show. If you see the show, it won't spoil it, but makes for a very funny moment later on. And then a week after that happened. Emily McGlynn fell down in the road and then ended up also on a pair of crutches because we had to take her to the hospital. (laughs) And then she was on crutches as well. So there was one show that we did where the two of them were both on crutches and I was just tired (laughs) 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 from like doing all of the changes, all of the moving of all of the stuff, making sure they had somewhere to sit, trying to do the show as well, which was kind of hysterical. And we we only managed to do that for one show, and then I think you guys had to take it in turns with who was who was using the crutches that day. <laughs> but yeah, that was a whole time that we had, which was kind of hilarious. And then because that was in 2020 in March, we then nearly got stuck in Australia, which was a whole other bundle of time because COVID happened because they can and they cancelled all our flights. What a time that was! That was yeah. fun. <laughs> that was silly. Everyone was fine. <laughs> waiting for and then the next show I fell down and I oh, no. it was Cassie and the crutches you know that leaves Emily Emily what is your favorite theater memory so I when I was younger was in an amateur dance and drama kind of club and my brothers were in it as well they're a lot older than me and I remember my first like big role that I got I was like eight years old and I was the stepmother in Cinderella (laughs) (laughs) and I played it like a drag queen it was incredible (laughs) and I just like I got so many laughs and like people just kind of like loving it and then like congratulating me afterwards and I was like I love this feeling <laughs> I was like I love making people laugh and being the like the butt of the joke but because <laughs> I want to be not because people are making fun of me and I think that kind of has influenced my personality quite a lot and a lot of kind of my acting choices as well I love that. That is absolutely amazing. Well, thank you all for those memories. Those were incredible. Oh my gosh. Now I can write a book. I'm sure there's lots of projects and upcoming things for all of you. And I'm wondering, finally, if our listeners want more information about Cassie and the Lights or about any of you, maybe they want to reach out to you. How can they do that? We have a website which is patchofbluetheatre.co.uk something along those lines (laughs) you put patch of blue theatre into google you will find us and there's not there's not only information about this show but all of our past shows as well including one we talked about earlier 
You've got an Instagram? We do have Instagram. We do. Yeah, yeah, Twitter yeah. as well. Email us on patrickbluetheatre at gmail.com. T-R-E, theatre. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but by all means, please reach out if you have any questions. We love talking to people about our work and yeah. collaborating with people. I'm just hearing anybody who's come to see the, the show. Like, yeah. We're, we're all very addicted to show score now. Like, oh, dangerously so. Just because, I mean, it's it's addiction, but also like we just love to hear people's thoughts because that, that helps us be be better as well. Yeah. So, Wonderful. Everybody, thank you so much for taking the time oh, to speak you. with me about thank your you for having us. We so appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. You're thank all you. incredible. Seriously, you're rock stars. You should be so proud of this work. We are so honored to get to see it. So thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. thank you. My guests today have been the performers, Alex Brain, Emily McGlynn, Michaela Murphy, Helen Chong, and Teresa Oregon, as well as the director, playwright, scenic designer, Alex Howarth, executive producer, Amelia Campbell, and the production stage manager, Madeline Blossom, all who were part of Patch of Blue in association with New Diorama Theater, Jin Yi Shen for Verse Unbound, and Amelia Campbell's presentation of Cassie and the Light, playing now through July 2nd at 59E59 Theaters. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting 59e59.org. This is a Stage Whisper Creators pick. You don't want to miss this show. You are going to be guaranteed a great time. And if you don't enjoy it, you come see me. We'll talk about it. I'll set you straight. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but it's an incredible show, an incredible story. You will want to see these artists. They're amazing. So don't miss out on Cassie and the Lights. Playing now through July 2nd. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, keep talking about the music in a strange whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.